The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So, you know, every day something new comes across the uh, screen. You know, we were just talking about how we got to stop, like, looking at, at our phones and our devices because... There are just so many, like, if not, you know, frightening stories, there's just so many startling things, and you read them, and they make you think, and then you you try to gauge your reaction, right? Because, like, my biggest fear is that somehow I will always, um, you know, see things through a prism of my own making, in other words, am I clearly evaluating something when I see a story or do I immediately default to like, um, you know, this is a crazy liberal or this is a, you know, a psycho conservative? I mean, I, I, I have to fight the urge to just dismiss certain stories and to overplay other stories. And I really was thinking about that um, today because I, I, I had what, one of these epiphanies last night when I was watching, uh, I guess it was uh, Tucker Carlson, and I wasn't really watching it. You know how sometimes you have something on, um, it's, a, it's on your schedule, so you put it on, but you're really distracted, or you, know, you have to make a phone call, or a phone call comes in, or, oh, I don't know, or you just feel like having some applesauce, and so you walk away from what you were doing. So that, that had happened. I'd walked away from the programming. I think I was actually doing dishes. And then I came back in and I, I saw that the story that had started when I'd walked away from it was still on. And you could have predicted without any question exactly where they would be in the story and what the opinion of the host was about the story. And and of all people, I mean, Tucker Carlson's not the most predictable guy on the air. I mean, every now and then he's absolutely uh, surprising. Um, but he is, uh, you know, he, he is a, he's predictable in, in certain arenas. And I knew that he would be predictable in this arena. So I think that's why I actually walked away. And I wonder, I, I had to learn a lesson from that. Here's the epiphany. If I'm very predictable, then why do my listeners even need to listen, right? If you know what I'm going to say, then you don't even, (laughs) there's no purpose in listening. So every now and again, when I say something that you weren't expecting me to say or think something that you weren't expecting me to think, that's actually a good thing. And don't get all angry and say, oh my goodness, I was counting on Joyce feeling exactly the same way about this that I'm feeling about it. And I um. You know, I'm convinced that, uh, that that we're right and everybody else is wrong. No, because last night, the story is they have found uh, documents that Joe Biden, when he was vice president, took with him to some Penn Center for Diplomacy, which is in and of itself bizarre because I never really think of him as being a diplomat. He's, uh, um, he's just not smart enough to be a diplomat, but... Nonetheless, apparently there's this Penn Center and it was a good excuse for some uh, prestigious Ivy League university to pay him a million dollars even though he is completely and utterly useless to them. 
but maybe it gives them access to records. I don't know. But anyway, so there's some documents. And I love the way, you know, all the reports are there were only 10 documents or there were somewhere between 10 and 25 documents. And the content of the documents was about Ukraine and Iran and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. How do we know that? How do we know how many documents there were and how do we know what was in those documents? I thought they were top secret and the whole issue is we don't want that to be public knowledge. But somebody leaked it or somebody like the lawyers uh, gave out that information in a, in a press contact or in a press release. So wait a second, what, how secret is it? Guess not very, right? And then there's Mar-a-Lago, right? I'm looking at the affidavit for the uh, search that took place at Mar-a-Lago, 30 armed FBI agents grabbing documents, boxes, boxes of documents from you know President Donald Trump's home, his estate in Palm Beach. And so I'm looking at this affidavit that was released on Friday by the U.S. District Court for South Florida, and you know, it's pretty heavily redacted. And all I came away from it with, with it was, I have more questions than I have answers right now. The Trump appointee who told federal prosecutors to release the affidavit because people are interested in the story. They want to know what's happening, not to mention now they want to know, will there be equal justice between the former vice president, now the president, and the former president? That's all. You know, these are questions the Americans are entitled to get answers to. So the the stuff in the Trump documents is heavily redacted and everybody's saying, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, we have to keep that from uh, from the public. We can't let anybody know because it's an ongoing criminal investigation. Oh, 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 oh. you know, and I'm thinking to this, wait a minute. So it, how come the stuff in, in, in Joe Biden's is already public consumption? You know, oh, that's not so serious. I heard some you know, FBI guy on television saying like, well, you know, this is no big deal and it's no big deal. Well, if it's no big deal now, why was it a big deal when they raided Mar-a-Lago? They didn't just ask Trump's attorneys for the paper and say, we'll be there at 12 o'clock. No, they raided his home with armed FBI. They went through his wife's underwear. You know, so these are not the same tactics in both cases. And that's what disturbs people. But let me tell you my opinion, which is really not going to make a lot of you very happy. All of this is the shiny thing. If they can keep us talking about this stuff, then the real criminality, the real malfeasance that's going on every single day in Washington, D.C. and in uh, various state capitals all over this country, we don't, we don't see that. That gets covered up. And instead, we're fixated on what were the documents? What were the documents there? And what were the documents here? What the heck? You know, the, and why can't we just have somebody in the United States government, whether it's in the National Archives and Records Administration, or it's in the Secret Service, or it's in, I don't care, Congress, a committee for, formed in Congress for the direct purpose of oversight, why don't they look at every document that any president or vice president or secretary of state or, you know, uh, secretary of defense or anybody who's in a very, very uh, national security intensive 
organization or government agency, like why shouldn't they have to vet every piece of paper that they walk with? Like, are they stuffing them into their socks? Oh no, that was just one Democrat who did that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, is this, Donald Trump had boxes of documents. Are you telling me that as he was leaving the White House, there is no official agency that goes, we need to look in those boxes, Mr. President? There was no attorney from the Department of Justice that was standing at the doorway saying like, we need to vet what's in those boxes, Mr. President. It's not like they were his suitcases. These were boxes of documents. It was quite apparent what they were, right? But the archivists, you know, decided after they saw 15 boxes that were sent back in January of last year, they sent a letter to the DOJ saying that, hey, some of these documents are highly classified. They might have national defense information, uh, NDI, you know, they've got to give you initials for in order for it to be really profound. And investigators said they found 184 documents that they argued did not belong at the, at the home of the former president. 67 pieces of information classified as confidential, 92 marked as secret, and 25 marked top secret. Now, let me ask you a question. What the hell is so top secret that now the public can't know about it? It's over two years since those documents were moved out of the White House, right? So you mean there's stuff that my government hides from me for over two years, I'm not entitled to see this? It's national defense intensive or national defense information, really? Do they suspect that, that China doesn't know this stuff already? <coughs> they can't be that naive, right? Do they think Russia doesn't have this information? They can't be that stupid, right? So in other words, everybody else has it. Probably even the mullahs in Iran have it but you and I can't know what was in it. We got to redact these documents. I'm sick of this. You know, what happened to a government of the people, by the people, for the people? I got a government that's absolutely, you know, uh, doesn't answer to the people at all anymore. And if the people get wind of them doing something that might be unsavory, illegal, or dangerous to national security, we're told, sit down, shut up, we'll handle it. The same people who messed it up. We're, you know, the, 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 the brain that formed the problem can't provide the solution. But hey, you know, that's why I'm not in government, right? When people say, oh, Joyce, you need to run for office, Joyce. You should, you should go to Congress, Joyce. Your kind of mind would be so valuable in Congress. No, no, it wouldn't. I, I would upset the apple cart just like, uh, you know, Donald Trump did. And when you upset the apple cart in Washington, D.C. or in many state capitals around this country, particularly the blue states, they'd come after you with a vengeance. And not for nothing. You know, I love my country, but apparently I don't love it as much as Donald Trump does because I'm not willing to be subjected to what they subjected him to and his family to. You know, what a thankless task that has been. And he wants to do it again. You know, God bless him, really must have an anointing on him because I would not. I love you guys. I really do. I, 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 I want to do the best that I can, be a great, you know, radio uh, voice. I want to help you when you need help. I want to get you to the right people and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I relish the uh, privilege and the opportunity to serve my country. But no, you cannot destroy my life and the lives of my family. No, no. 
you know, government scares me. It's not supposed to. I'm supposed to scare government. But of late, government scares us. And all you got to do is look at these documents that are being released from the Twitter files, and you know you, you're not paranoid. You know, it's not paranoia if they really are coming after you, okay? Then it's just good sense. Anyway, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app. Don't forget to visit our website, 850WFTL.com. Don't forget to listen to my podcasts and all the other great podcasts that we offer you at 850, Full Rigor, uh, the Unidentified Alien Whatevers, uh, Bill's uh, Cool Dad Rules. We got a lot of stuff that you can watch. Karen's Crime Blog. Um, you want to be on that website at least at least once a week, and certainly I go on it every day, multiple times, and you get all the breaking news as well. So that's good for you. Do it, which doesn't mean you sit on it all day long. I'm trying to like control my screen time. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's easier to fast from food than from screen time. All right, let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. Oh my goodness. And then you just keep, you know, so, so here's my take on it, which is not going to make people happy. It's enough already. Stop making us look at all of the wrong information. Uh, if it's a crime to take sensitive information out of your office when you leave office, then let every single um, office holder who's leaving office go through the same routine. And obviously, if they secret documents away in their underclothing, um, it might be harder to find them. But for goodness sake, this, this implication that Donald Trump was sharing this information with foreign leaders is just so stupid, really, because here we are two years later, okay, and you're doing this investigation. Has anything happened? Has some foreign country infiltrated or, uh, you know, have our codes to the nuclear football? Is there anything that you can point to that is a direct result of any of the papers that Donald Trump had in his possession? And the answer is no, okay, there is nothing. Uh, you know, Russia didn't invade Ukraine because of some papers that Donald Trump took. Russia didn't invade Ukraine because of some papers that Joe Biden took. Well, there's a higher probability that that would have happened over Joe Biden, but that's a whole nother story, right? Equal treatment, that's all we want. If you have sensitive information, it goes through a process, and if you've been through that process, that's it. That's it. And then stop telling me, well, you know, a president has the right to declassify any material he wants to, but not a vice president. Well, well wait a second. Why should anybody have the right to declassify secret national defense information? Like, maybe we need to change that rule. But, you know, instead, we're looking at, uh, got to get rid of Donald Trump. Can't let Donald Trump ever run again. Don't want to do that. Uh, you just, you, you want to go crazy. You really do. And then I, wa I read a news story today. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that really just grabs my attention. I don't know that it grabs anybody else's attention, and I don't care. But I'm reading a story about this woman, and I had seen the story a long time ago. Uh, this woman was is like a big pro-life volunteer. She leads one of these pro-life organizations in Great Britain, right? And she gets arrested and charged with four counts of praying silently 
on a public street near a closed abortion facility. Now, let me repeat the important parts of that, right? She was praying silently. She wasn't praying out loud. The facility was closed and she was on a public street. This is so Machiavellian. <coughs> I can't even wrap my mind around it. So in other words, if you're praying in support of women in crisis pregnancies, and you happen to be praying somewhere near an abortion clinic, you're breaking the law in Great Britain? Not that I ever wanted to live there, but this certainly just clinches that for me. Her actions were a crime, according to local authorities. In order to make bail, she was told she could not pray even outside of the censorship zone. <coughs> and she was not to contact a local Catholic priest who was involved in pro-life work. Five different localities have measures in Great Britain that prevent people from any act of approval or disapproval in relation to abortion, including prayer. We have freedom of religion in this country. But when I see these things beginning to happen around the world and in civilized parts of the world, we're not talking about you know stuff that's happening in Yemen or Syria. Not that there aren't civilized Yemenis and Syrians. We're just, they have barbaric governments, okay? But even there, I don't believe that they can stop you from silent prayer in a public setting. What is this? What is this antipathy towards God that we're seeing all over the place? They're criminalizing God. Now, I don't know about you, but there are very few things I will fight with my last breath for. I will fight almost to my last, last breath for. Let's put it that way. Obviously, God is the top of that list. You know, if you tell me that I have no right to worship the God of my understanding, the Christian God, uh, I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand. That's important enough to me. If you come after my family members, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, I'm going to stand and fight. They they come right right below God. And then finally, if you come for my freedom, if you come from for the 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 freedom that I have to speak my mind, to redress my grievances with the government, to pray in any manner that I want to, wherever I want to, whenever I want to, to write and to read all of the truth. You come after those things, I'm fighting, right? I'm fighting. Censorship zones? You gotta be kidding me. Anyway, coming up in the next segment of the show, an interesting segment, a little deviation, because we're all talking about all the same things all the time. I'm gonna be talking with the director of a film, um, and the subject of the film, Scott Lovato, is very interesting to me, and so Christopher Martini's gonna be on and we're going to talk about his documentary. Uh, you don't want to miss this. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely um, proof positive 
that there are some brave souls out there who are fighting the good fight, and they do it regardless of the cost. And there's a reward at the end of that fight. So stay right where you are. I'll be right back. All right, all right. Welcome back. You know, I have to tell you, one of the great uh, privileges or, or pleasures of what I do for a living is that often I'll get a heads up before everybody else about something uh, spectacular. And Christopher Martini is a documentary filmmaker, um, and I have seen his work, and I'm excited about a new uh, documentary that he is in the process of, I guess it's going to be released soon. Is that correct? Hi, Joey. Thank you for having me. Um, We are... uh, talking to distributors we're, mm-hmm. we're taking calls now mm-hmm. so we're getting great interest and it, it will be released soon and we'll have to do another segment where it, when it's released okay because i gotta tell you i have been following the subject of this documentary for years i happen to have one of my closest friends is from staten island and years ago she get, called me up and said you have got to check out the work of this artist scott Lebedo. And I said, you know, I don't do art. It's not my thing. I'm into politics. And she goes, oh, no, you're going to do this. And so, of course, I started following all of this, what shall we call it, civil um, demonstrations that this particular artist has been doing for the last couple of years. And I think he's been arrested like 10 times. (laughs) Yeah. So Scott, Scott is a crazy conservative artist in new york which is you know very rare as you can imagine (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he's gotten a lot of resistance uh you know protesting over the years so he you know what he does is he paints satirical political paintings he paints flags uh he's painted flags all over the united states on rooftops and he's also an an activist so if, Mm -hmm. if somebody you know, is burning the flag, if, if the school is not saying the Pledge of Allegiance, if, if uh, you know, the, the DA is going soft on crime, I mean, he's, he's there. He's, you know, he's, he's there, he shows up, he protests, and often he shows up with, you know, a, a large group of people. So he is, you know, he's a voice in the dark, uh, mm-hmm. you know, helping, helping, you know, push the our conservative values and, you know, just defending our country in, in the arts, I would say. Yeah. And I think to me, the biggest attraction, and this is what my friend knew when she told me about Scott, was his love of the military, of the men and women who serve this country and the veterans, and his, his, his sense of responsibility to be an activist, that that's how he gets his political feelings out. Um, and and uh, he's just, he, he's, he's not shy, that's for sure. What was working with him like? <laughs> well, you know, Scott, Scott has, does have a, we both share a love of veterans. I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, veteran military related films that I've done. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's one thing that, that brought us together. And, um, you know, this film was great because I could also expand it into other subjects that I'm very interested in and and exploring, like, you know, bringing back our respect to law enforcement and, you know, pretty much everything that Scott uh, deals with in in his artwork and his protests was was something that I wanted to express 
in my film. So this film got us, you know, it, it encompasses pretty much everything that I wanted to do. And work, working with him is, was, was great and crazy. I mean, you know, I followed him around for three years with a camera and he drives around in this, you know, this big SUV that has, you know, uh, a skull on the front, you know, a, a cow skull or something on the front front. And then he, he has, you know, giant American flags, you know, attached to it. And so you can imagine we drive around this thing, everyone in New York city, hmm. we, get, we get a lot of support, but all probably more resistance, but you know, Scott, Scott is a really good guy. And I could say that, you know, he's, he's has a really good heart and he's very loyal. And so, you know, it was a good, he was a good partner to, to make this film with. He does a lot of what I would consider beautiful memorial art pieces. Uh, he did one for the Uvalde shootings that I thought was so poignant. He just laid out, you know, these school desks and, um, and, and it was just touching with, I, I think it, they, each one of them had like a, a red bird on it. I'm trying to remember cause I was just so impressed by this. The, the um, desks, the white desks with yeah, the, the birds. Desks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a beautiful, um, you know, and this from a person who like me, it, it, you know, gets furious when they use events like that to push political agendas because we forget the cost, the human cost. Uh, he did a beautiful memorial to the victims of COVID. You know, even though like me, he thought that, you know, the government was way over the top when it came to dealing with COVID, he still remembered the victims. And that to me is, is the real um, challenge for an artist who's an activist. How do you separate the true meaning what are you trying to communicate with your art and not just be political but but still retain humanity i think he does that more than anybody i've seen in a long time yeah he has a lot of exhibitions i mean he's he's done some fiercely you know partisan you know satire paintings that you mean <laughs> that like de blasio really with the with the horns <laughs> What's that? Like de Blasio with the horns? De Blasio with the horns, you know, uh, Cuomo holding, the, you know, the bleeding heart of New York, uh, mm. you know, Nancy Pelosi as a demon tearing up the Constitution. I mean, those works of art really, uh, you know, evoke a response, mm. and often a negative response from the people who don't agree with him. But as you said, Scott has done a lot of art installations that show a lot of heart and a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy. You know, he did a installation piece after the Sandy hurricane on the beach with empty chairs. And, you know, he's done, he did the, the twin towers and, and lights and, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of very heartfelt, um, emotional, uh, pieces. I filmed him, doing a, you know, a 9-11 uh, memorial that showed, you know, to, uh, uh, a policeman and a fireman kneeling before, you know, the wreckage of the Twin Towers, and he had, like, this fake smoke, and we unveiled this for, he unveiled it for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation with a bunch of, like, you know, police officers and firemen who lost family members. It's really uh, emotional. Mm. So, yeah, he does, he does a lot of great work. 
And, uh, you know, this, this documentary is called The Relentless Patriot, you know, because Scott is relentless in his, in his art and activism, and he has been for 30 years. But it's also a call to action for conservatives, you know, to relentlessly protect our country and our values, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think are under attack right now. Yeah. And, you know, the, the definition of the word relentless, I love that you use that in the title, is somebody who is determined to do something and refuses to give up, even if what they're doing is unpleasant. And that is, you know, that is the perfect description of not just his political activism, but of his heart. Um, and he is a relent, relentless patriot. Um, what can we expect in terms of, you know, I got to imagine that like any conservative filmmaker, it's a challenge to get notice. You know, I'm watching these, uh, I didn't actually watch the Golden Globes, but I was reading all the updates about about it on my feed last night. And I'm thinking, I never even heard of these things. And these none of these mean anything to me, maybe with the exception of Yellowstone. I didn't even know what they were talking about. Um, and yet a, a documentary like yours, um, which appeals to half of the country, mind you, will struggle to get distribution. Uh, it must be frustrating for you. Well, right. We we made this film for the little people, you know, the the people that that you know that that sends send their sons and daughters off to fight wars, you know, that you may not agree with, but you know, we they do this willingly to protect our country, you know, and and to protect everything we stand for. And you know, I as a filmmaker, you know, I I grew up kind of in the industry. My stepfather. Um, was a, was a famous actor and, you know, my brother and sister both do this, but working in Hollywood, I always felt, you know, something was off, you know, cause you know, I, I would make some films and I always felt like, you know, that I should feel ashamed for loving my country or, mm. you know, standing up for, for our military or, or law enforcement. And, you know, we we should not feel ashamed that people fought and died for our country. This is a great country. It took us, you know, we had our problems, but it took us a long time to get to this point and, you know, through much hardship. And and the rest of the world wants to come here. That's why they're flooding our borders. Right. We should not be afraid to say, you know, to, to show films that, that reflect our values. So... I, you know, this film is definitely a departure onto a new path for me, and it's it's uh, it's going to be very challenging, but also exciting. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that that, that follow my lead. Mm. Let me ask you: Do you tell the story of how Scott became Scott? I mean, you know, about his his upbringing and about you know growing up in Staten Island, that kind of stuff. Is there a lot of that? We do, we do get into that, but we don't get, you know, we don't get delve too deeply into the personal story only because, you know, everyone, the, the, the audience's attention span is getting shorter and shorter. So, True. you know, it's like, as a filmmaker, you have to, you're always battling the running time, which is, which is getting shorter and shorter. So, you know, to, to, to reach, 
to, to get this distributed, we have to get this down. You know, we had to get it down to a reasonable length. And so, you know, Scott has 30 years of, of art and ag- activism. I went through countless hours of of his artwork and, and still and video footage over the years, him getting arrested and this and that. And, and a lot of it didn't make it in the film because we simply don't, you know, have the time to show it. But yes, he's, you know, he's from Staten Island and we get into that a little bit. And Staten Island is the Republican stronghold in New York. And, right. Um, I've, you know, I've been there the past three years filming with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I got to tell you, I I know a lot about Staten Island, and he is the, uh, you know, he's the hero of many of the people who live there in relative uh, obscurity, but believe in this country and weren't ashamed to wear, you know, MAGA hats and things like that, in spite of a city that just turned its nose up and all that. Um, you know, what else is going on? Are you making any other films? I mean, this one's finished, so you moving on? I, I got some good subject matters for you, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I just I just finished a... If you go to my YouTube page, mm-hmm. I should have said this earlier, you can, you know, Christopher Martini on YouTube, just put in The Relentless Patriot. Uh, you can see the the trailer for this documentary and a lot of my other projects also on the YouTube page are a couple uh, music videos that are, that I just did. One just was just released called uh, medal of honor. And it was honoring Don Jenkins, mm. uh, Vietnam medal of honor recipient who uh, the character of Forrest Gump was partly based on, on him. Like he literally saved, you know, tons of people in Vietnam, like carrying them on his shoulder back and forth um his story is amazing anyways it's a music video by um it's a song by blackbird anthem that i directed the music video and and that that just went live it's getting some great response um i have another music video for a veteran band his name's shannon book and uh it's called dear mom and i'm editing that right now this is going to honor the families of the fallen um I've always focused on sort of the veteran stories. So this is sort of the, the, the you know, the, 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 the story, the family story, the family side of, you know, mm-hmm. being deployed. Yeah. I have to tell you, the first time that I ever knew you existed was um, when I had an opportunity to watch The Stone Child. Um, I was doing, oh. like, yeah, I was doing an in-depth study at the time of the Lakota uh, Native Americans. I, I say Lakota Indians, but I'm just old school. And it was the story of like a mixed race kid who had to sort of live in this world, an all white world. And I have mixed race children myself. And I was just so moved by that documentary um, or that movie, whatever you, you call it. It was a, it was a beautiful film. So I, I knew of you before the Scott Lebedo story was brought to my attention. And I remembered that movie. Yeah. Well, listen, but you touch people in different ways. You've learned that in filmmaking and you never know. You know, I, mm-hmm. it's funny you brought up that film because, you know, that that was sort of, I guess you could call it my woke film. But I, I did that before wokeness was even a thing. I mean, I just I simply wanted to tell that story, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I spent a lot of time in, in the on the, you know, the, the Pine Ridge Reservation with the Lakota Sioux 
you know, it took me a long time to earn their trust and everything. But that that was a story that just came out organically. I just, you mm-hmm. know, I felt like this kid's story could be any kid's story. He just happens to be on the reservation. I think that made it really interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that I still that movie I still want to turn into a feature film. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know that I would have described it as woke. I'll have to think about that for a minute because really, what it, you know, what it was was the the ability to overcome even horrendous things um, when you tap into the strength that you have inside yourself. And that was what I got from the movie. Like I was able to to tell my own children, you know, you're going to face some challenges, and some people aren't going to like you. Um, but there's something yeah. inside of you that will push through that and you will get stronger. And that's, I thought, with the film, you know, if that's woke, I'll take a little woke with my coffee. I think I meant woke just by turning turning the lens onto a different community oh, rather okay. than, you know, mm-hmm. the community that you would expect. But, yeah, it was a, it was a universal story. I was just trying to tell the yeah. human story. Yeah, it was a, be- a beautiful piece. As a matter of fact, I'm going to look it up and watch it again. <laughs> it's been a long time. When did you do that film? That had to be a long time ago. That was uh, 20 years was ago? Twenty, I think yeah. 2016. And uh, we shot that on Pine Ridge Reservation. We shot it on Super 16 film mm. in like 18 degree weather. And uh, it was a film with, you know, a narrative film, but I used non-professional uh, you know, locals from the reservation, so it was a little bit like a documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it just it felt real. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I'm looking forward to seeing the film, The Relentless Patriot, and I know you'll keep me in the loop and maybe come back on once it's released. Yes, and go to scottlebedo.com also, and you can you can view the trailer there also and see Scott's work. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on, Christopher. I appreciate this time. Thanks, Joyce. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right. We got to take a a final break before we wrap up the show. I do want to um, remind you that Dan Bongino follows and then Ben Shapiro at 4 p.m. and 6 o'clock, the WPTV local news. And then uh, Pags and Lars Larson and the morning crew will be back at 6 a.m. So just lock the station in on your dial and you'll be a happy camper. I'll be right back. I don't know how many of you are as sick of the CDC as I am. I'm really sick of it. You know, the, the, the CDC has been engaged in gun control politics for just about my entire adult life. You know, back in the 1990s, when I first started doing radio down here in Florida, they, most of what they were doing was they were funding a lot of anti-gun social science that, you know, basically they were just trying to convince Americans and convince all of our elected leaders to uh, forget about the right to keep and bear arms. You know, ah, it's not really, that's not what they meant. You know, they were carrying muskets. You know, I, I, that was all the stuff that, that we were hearing in the 90s. And then um, now we're seeing evidence that they not only promoted all that junk science and continue to promote that junk science, but they actually suppress real research, legitimate research, into the benefits of owning a gun. You know, they do not want you to know how many people save themselves, their families, their communities from terrible violence by being gun owners, by knowing how to 
use their guns. In, in December, so that's only a month ago, there was an internet publication, it's called The Reload, and I read an article on there that was called Emails Prove That the CDC Removed Defensive Gun Use Statistics After the Gun Control Advocates Pressured the officials in, in a series of private meetings. And it talked about all this email correspondence between the CDC and anti-gun activists in which the, you know, the gun control supporters were trying to suppress this research that was being done right here at the Florida State University uh, Criminology Department. You had a professor there, Gary Kleck, who said that Americans use firearms to defend themselves millions of times per year. Now, did you know that? Of course you didn't. I'm a, a, you know, a Second Amendment fanatic, and I didn't realize that it was literally millions of times. Now, there's an important article on the NRA um, website. It's in the grassroots alert portion of that website that's, you know, the entire, has the entire reload article on there. And it talks about how the anti-gun lobbying influence um, takes place at the CDC. It says the lobbying cam, this is quoting, the lobbying campaign spanned months and culminated with a private meeting between the CDC officials and three advocates, that's advocates of gun control, last summer. A collection of emails obtained by the reload, uh, introductions from the White House and Senator Dick Durbin, the Democrat from Illinois, their office helped the advocates reach top officials at the agency, at the CDC. Because at first they tried to and they never were able to get through to anybody. Then these advocates focused their complaints on the CDC's description of its review of studies that estimated definitive gun users happened between 60,000 and 2.5 million times per year in the United States. Think of that. So the, the range is at least 60,000 defensive gun uses, but maybe as high as 2.5 million every year in the United States. The CDC cooperated with the anti-gun pressure campaign, even though initially they stood behind the description in the defensive gun use section of its Fast Facts website on gun violence, the CDT backtracked after they had this meeting, this undisclosed virtual meeting with the advocates. We're planning to update the fact sheet, blah, 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 blah. The research at issue is this Professor Kleck's findings in the 1993 National Self-Defense Survey, the results of which were published in 1995. We're talking, this is old news, but you didn't hear about it. The survey data never made it onto the front page of the Washington Post or the New York Times or even uh, conservative publications, just didn't make it. I'm tired. I'm tired of being lied to. I'm tired of them withholding information from you. And if you're tired, then, you know, get activated. So that should, uh, you know, that should tell you everything you need to know about why I don't believe anything anymore. I need proof. Show me the money. Anyway, I uh, 
I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. And I thought you, I have uh, Robert Spencer on with me tomorrow. Very, very interesting subject about how the left is trying to foment a civil war in this country. And I think they're getting really darn close. But uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow with Robert. Um, in the meantime, my plan is to be back here at noon tomorrow, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.